Hello everybody and welcome back to Season 11 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers Ward, and joining me, also as always, Matthew Stogden. Sequelizers kick your ass! Sequelizers kick your face! Sequelizers kick your balls into outer space! Which one of us is kicking ass, face, or balls? It rotates. <laughs> what, the ass, like, balls, like, face? Like editing duty and stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that explains hey, a lot. Hey, Matt, you're on ass duty this week. <laughs> you're in my goddamn life. Speaking of people on ass duty, it's Tim Matum. Hey, laser lips, your mama was a sequelizer. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's, the, that's the line right there. That's mm-hmm, the obvious mm-hmm. line. Have you ever called anyone laser lips in real life? <laughs> No. No. Oh. <laughs> only only when I kissed them and they burned me horribly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like so many of your conquests, Tim. Yep. <laughs> so many lovers. Kissed so and many then scars. <laughs> kissed and then scorned. Why not I got these scars? <laughs> <laughs> From me, laser lips. <laughs> Johnny Five. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, if you hadn't already guessed, because we very much gave it away. We're talking about the Dark Knight Rising. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, not oh, again. Oh god. No, we're talking about 1988's Short Circuit 2, the sequel to the 1986 original. That is actually a film people care about. Yeah. Yeah. I think a film a lot of people have a lot of nostalgia for and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, classically they think they care about it because they haven't seen it in 20 years. Yes. And we'll get to all of that, but first, before we get to all of that stuff, Take a little trip down to patreon.com slash sequelizers and give a shout out and a thanks to the lovely people who support us on there, who make this show possible, make it free for everyone else on all the other podcast apps and all that kind of stuff. Because if you go to patreon.com slash sequelizers, you get ad-free episodes, you get early access the Friday before it comes out on the Tuesday for public access, you also get discounts on merch, exclusive merch, and Bonus content. If you go up to the ten pound tier or higher, you get bonus content. Bonus. Thank you, Tim. Including outtakes we just recorded. We've just done the finale of our summer movie draft, so you can find out which one of us won. That dates back all the way back to the outtakes of the Day of the Dead episode from season ten, episode six, where we essentially had a bunch of different categories and stats. Tim laid out this incredible kind of like calculator of different things, and it was critical and box office and all kinds of different stuff mm-hmm. we each had picks it was all D themed because tim is tim and <laughs> true <laughs> and we had the finale the culmination of the story it's now september so makes sense to finally kind of culminate it all yeah finish off the summer get ready for yep. fall slash autumn still fin- humid as shit finishes on labor day for our american listeners which is seen as the end of the summer there you go so with all that, you get also the movie commentaries we're doing throughout the season as well. Mm. We've already done one for episode one. We'll be doing two more this season as well. You also get basically the archive of all the extra stuff that's been happening over the last few years as well. So as I mentioned, oh yeah, it's in the season 10, episode six outtakes. If you're brand new and you've just joined us, you've also got access to that. You mm. can backtrack mm. and go and check out the start of the summer movie draft to get caught up with the finale of the to, movie To draft. enjoy the hubris. Exactly. <laughs> When we thought Thor Love and Thunder was going to be good. <laughs> oh, how silly we were. The past. <laughs> the naive sequelizers of the past. How young and naive we were. Mm. And this episode that we're actually doing this week was voted for by the patrons. So if you go and join us, you get a chance to vote mm. 
on an episode per season and per interseason as well. It's their fault. <laughs> yeah, it's their fault we're doing Short Circuit too. Yeah. So well, like all democracy, we gave them three shit options. They were like, yes, 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 yes. it was, it was, uh, it was never, end, of... never ending story two, Short Circuit two, Teen Wolf two, Teen, Teen Wolf, Wolf two. two, yes, fucking hell, family, family, eighties, eighties nonsense. 80s nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's why we're here. Thanks, patrons. And if you go up to the higher tiers, like I said, you get exclusive merch, and you can become an executive producer, just like these fine folks have done. David Selinger. You're going nowhere, bozos. James McDowell. Oh yeah? Well, recycle this. I'm a sugar and a schmuck. Stuart Main. Get out of my face, you ugly mother. Tu mama's el amor con mi perro. Yo, come on, you bug-eyed pig. Do you feel lucky, punk? Hyper Dude Man. Oh, like I'm really scared, you know, for sure. <laughs> Philip Morgan. Well, okay, pilgrim. It's roundup time. Marcus Lindstrom. Beepers, cherries, input. And Josh van der Sluice. Squash. Dead. Disassemble. Dead. Disassemble. Dead! Thank you, executive producers. Like I said, your support makes this show possible. We like to give you a little shout out. People have been commenting on the EP clips recently as well. We do some true weird and wonderful things. I think we do often pour our heart and soul into those little moments and try and make them as weird and wacky and funny as possible. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we just go. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes there is nothing to pull from the film, and you're like, that is the painful part. Yeah. I don't know famous quotes. I don't fucking know. Like whatever. I end up just doing a Key and Peele sketch at one point. It's like, what am I going to do from Taken? Yeah. Uh, Liam Neeson's is my shit is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Famous film scores? Ah, Beavis and Butthead to America. <laughs> oh my God, I'd forgotten yeah. you'd done that, Tim. Good that Lord. That was quite chef's kiss. Yes, very much so. And if you're at the highest tier on Patreon, you are a VIP. And those are the people that pick the episodes mm. that we are fixing throughout the season. Well, we got three picks from those mischievous scamps that are the VIPs that force us to do terrible fucking sequels basically against our will at this point. But they do pay us, so it's kind of... Yeah. yeah. The VIPs are, of course, Xenos. Hey, laser lips! Your mama was a snowblower! Jonathan Firth-Clark. Hey, you. Here's Johnny. And Josh Miles. Violence is an expression of sexual frustration. Thank you, everybody, on Patreon. You, like I said, you make this show possible. We very much appreciate the support. We know how fucking difficult times are right now. Exactly. Yeah. Things are tough. Yeah. Everything's fucked. <laughs> we're, living in unpre- we're living in unprecedented times. Again. Which makes them precedented Still. times. Yes. When somebody <laughs> says, a once in a lifetime, I'm like, nah, I don't think you can say that anymore. Right. Not even The Rock versus John Cena was once in a lifetime, Matthew. <laughs> Not even the once in a lifetime match. Anyway, thank you, as I said, support from the patrons. Let's get stuck into some 80s uh, sexy robots. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> um, I'll go first. Oh, go on then. Didn't see either of these in the cinema because I was but a boy. But a boy. Yeah, you would have been, what, two and four. Yep. Yeah. Um, video and TV. That's how I saw it. And I saw them a lot. And classically, uh, I was talking to my wife about this before we started recording. Um, said, oh, you're doing the Johnny Five film. I said, no, it's called Short Circuit. I said, I know that. But everyone calls it the Johnny Five film. I said, I know. 
because that's also what I called it as a kid as well. I don't think I knew what the actual title of the film was. It was the whole Johnny Five is Alive film. Um, I remember the trailer for it, um, as in you like see that on on you know at the start of a, a VHS or something, because mm. uh, you didn't see number five in it. And it's one of those weird things that design is so well known now. It's like anything you see a trailer for certain films, they'll hide what the what the the design is or what the, what it might mm. look like, or the plot of the movie possibly. Uh, so you only saw his hand. You never saw the actual whole thing, which was interesting, sort of, you know. But it was a very, very, very eighties design that I genuinely liked at the time as a kid, or I thought I liked. Um, and I watched it, and I kind of. Uh, would quote the nonsense stuff because it's just it is aimed very and i mean i, I was a very young child single digits mm. of the same time so it was very much my kind of thing but i should also point out like a lot of 80s films like batteries not included and other bits and pieces have robots in it it's fucking slow and dull <laughs> there's so much nothing you fast forward through to get to the good clips basically um and i remember certain things like i, I if, if before re-watching i'd say oh yeah i remember some of the quotes i remember the robot driving around the woods I remember him jumping on a frog or something. And I remember uh, him being all gold. I remember him uh, with a knife or, <laughs> or being punk uh, and all retro stuff. That's, you can't remember the robot bits. Mm. If, if and very sp- much smushing both the films together there. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of how my childhood memories of the thing was. But I remember I liked the, the Robbie the Robot sort of design, which is now the Wally kind of design. Um, but it wasn't the thing I really revisited. Like, I don't have it on DVD, for example, which for me, it will be Blu-ray, whatever. For anybody who is new to the show, that's a fucking miracle. Yeah. yeah. I have about 1,000, nearly 1,200 Blu-rays. Christ. And three and a half thousand DVDs. Fucking hell. And it ain't in there. Yeah. And there's a lot of shit that I own. Yes. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of shit you should yeah. not own on physical media. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a case of like, this is like, I watched it and I rewatched it as a, like in my 20s and thought, God, this is crap. Oh, Gutenberg. Great. <laughs> Gutenberg, normally such a sign of quality. <laughs> God damn it. Um, and then I knew who Ali Sheedy was. And, oh, shit. Okay, okay, no, Ali Sheedy. Oh, no, God damn, she's terrible too. Oh, Fisher. Steve. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, because again, at my very, very, very young age, I don't think I would have appreciated, uh, we'll get into this more in a minute, the brown face. Yeah, that was a yeah. that was a traumatic experience for me. Yeah, as a thirty-one-year-old going yeah. back to a film I watched probably twenty years ago and thought that was great. Didn't <laughs> no think about, problems didn't, there. No problems there. Yeah, never occurred that Fisher Stevens is a white guy. Yeah, doing that accent in brown face. Yeah, I mean, again, was it's one of those things <sighs> whereby only fairly recently we've stopped doing it in things like The Simpsons and. Family Guy and stuff, and it's like, okay, so yeah, it's not like a a a, a, a very long-standing. Oh my God, what an outrage! People are like that's a normal thing to do, right? Mm. You just play a different uh, ethnicity. Normal, it's like, yes, sure. I, because mm. I don't think anyone was outraged about it when I was young. Pro brown face. No, wow, <laughs> wow. I feel, I think there wasn't enough. Old choice. I feel Jim like Aiden. it's the kind of thing where if they'd have been making him black or African American. They at that point they would have been like, oh no, we can't oh, do yeah, that. No. It would be two types of Asian they'd be fine with. Yes, yes. um, so- Central Asian and and East Asian. Yeah, like this is fine. Yes, why? Because we don't care. Yes, exactly. Do you know why Fisher Stevens is cast as an Indian character? Yeah, I actually don't think I know this. Okay, no. so 
he was already cast when Ben was a white character. Okay. He was originally a white character. They changed him to an Indian character to add like a, because ooh, fish of... out of water kind of thing. Oh, because of Beverly Hills Cop. Correct. God damn yeah. it! And they were one like, of the, oh, One yeah. of the producers saw Serge and yep. was like, oh, we should have some funny like accent guy in ours. Yep. We need oh, like wacky accent in, Mer- in America. That'll be funny. Oh my God. Oh shit, we don't have time to recast an Indian actor. Hey, Fisher, put this on. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Yeah. Uh... And Fisher Stevens said he was, he w- like, he confessed, like, it was fairly normalized back then. But looking yes. back at it, it's one of the biggest regrets of my entire career. And I was like, yeah. I mean, you know, how much of a career to regret about. I Fisher. don't know, man. Like, Packers in succession. Yeah. Exa- exactly. And the Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> <laughs> the other regret of his career. And I've said those things and everyone's going to, I've heard of some of those. Yeah, exactly. Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so yes, it was, it was one of those things whereby I have very little desire to go back to it. The, the 80s was full of um, post-ET, they're on our side, they're not evil, mm. they're our best friends kind of era of robots, as well as like, you know, the Terminator and mm. killers, etc. Was... Which feels very much almost like a product of the Cold War coming to a close. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely is. And it does feel like it's, I mean, the, I can't remember the director's name now. Um, the original is Badham. John Badham. Yeah, who directed War Games, and it's like, yeah, it looks like fucking War Games, in the sense of like how it's sort of very claustrophobic when it's inside and dull when it's outside um <laughs> but uh no i i remember really enjoying them at the time as a kid mostly because it's a robot that did some things and it would, would be fine but it was a short-lived memory i don't think i've ever had like a passionate like oh no 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 number five is my shit i fucking need to go back on that and not have a you know a, a short circuit tattoo <laughs> <laughs> on the back of my head yeah um so I have no. All, all have, of Matt's tattoos are actually secret references to Short Circuit. Yeah, I noticed. It's yeah. The most obvious true. one is the big Michael McKean face. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna pick somebody, why not Michael McKean? It's a good shout. Um, no, so I I um have no problem. Uh, I'm not going to completely tear this film apart. I, either of them. I'm not going to save uh save them and say, oh yeah, they're fantastic movies. There's a lot. You're not redeemable. They're looking just, through rose tinted glasses. You're trying to look no, objectively. Objectively, yeah. they're both just eh. Yeah. Of their time, very forgettable. Distinct robot design made it make it quite memorable. And that's a good bit of actual puppetry, shall we say. Yes. That's quite impressive. But outside of that, fucking tedious. Yeah. Uh, that's me. One of you boys. I'll go next. Hey, Tim. I don't think I'd ever seen these films. Ah. Fair play. Oh, wait, well, I will slightly correct myself. I had seen the beginning of Short Circuit 2. We, that's all oddly specific. That's all I could remember. The bit before Johnny Five turns up, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, Talking about a guy trying to sell toys. Yeah. Uh, I was. I, I sort of went into it and I was like, oh, I must have seen these films, but I don't have any real memories. I remember Johnny Five is alive because people just used to Better say shit. that in reference yeah. to whatever. It was our. It was our pre-internet version of a meme. You know, very much so. Uh, that's what movie catchphrases were. I yeah. guess, and now they're just memes. Um. And so I was aware of the films, generally speaking, and like, oh, there's a robot. That's what he looks like. He's alive. I think he has a parachute at one point. Um, he does. Off a bridge. He does, yes. He does. And he also has a hang glider in the, in yeah. the second one. Yep. Just like Robocop. He was always built to fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. And so then I started watching these, and I was like, I have no memories of this. Normally, even if it's a film I watched a long while ago, 
once I start watching it, I'll be like, oh yeah, I do remember this. Yeah, it comes back. Yeah, and I was like, nope, nothing's interesting, nothing sparking. And then I saw the beginning of the first one, and I was like, uh, the second one, sorry, and I was like, oh, I do vaguely remember that some of this. I don't they go to a warehouse next, and then they went to a warehouse, and I was like, mm. oh okay. This is where my memory ends. <laughs> uh, like you said, just before Johnny Five actually shows up. So I think it, it it was a case of I didn't own these films. Obviously, I didn't own them, but I did. Mm. They were not owned by my family on VHS. I remember them being on TV, but I don't think I ever actually sat down and watched them. So I think the most I ever saw was the beginning of them while I was playing with Lego or something, and, and then got I went bored. and then I went and did something else instead. Did something yeah. more interesting. Exactly. Sounds about right. So yeah, so basically my first time seeing them was yesterday. Fascinating. I was similar in that my first time seeing the second one all the way through was two days ago. Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. I did grow up watching the first one. I remember watching, for whatever reason, that and Flight of the Navigator occupy a very similar space in my childhood brain. Mm. I would regularly confuse the two of them. Like looking back at my childhood, I'm like, yeah, the one with the spaceship that's like alive or whatever. It's like, you're not wrong. Mm. It's got a stupid voice and says silly things. Exactly, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a puppet that's sort of a robot that has a silly voice. And like, there's a kid. Is there a kid in the His name is Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> that's exactly it. I was like, hold on, who is the like human guy? Is it Indian guy? That's... <laughs> Who's playing this Indian guy? I, I Like I said, I had a, a brutal whiplash <laughs> yeah. of like, Oh fuck! This is 1986, and it wasn't okay then either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not exact. It's not fucking 1936. Like it's not a, it's not that far away. It's within yeah. Matt's lifetime and Tim's lifetime just Christ, about. Yeah. yeah, the fact that there's like, oh, it's a lot of this movie that has not aged well at all. A lot of it. <laughs> Some people might think, oh, I, I might go seek it out. Don't. I mean, like, like anything, if you want to watch something, by all means, I'm not going to stop you. I'm just going to say, you are wasting your time. <laughs> Interestingly, yeah. uh, as I always do, I go and like watch YouTube videos about the movies and do my research behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. There's a couple of things I thought were interesting is that Sid Mead was involved in the creation of Number 5 and his design. Mm. For those of you who don't know who Sid Mead is, he's probably most famous for being part of the design team in Tron, which is like one of the most influential science fiction films, especially visually, of all yeah. time. Sure. Which we've talked about because we did Tron Legacy before, mm-hmm. and even more famously, did most of the designs for fucking Blade Runner. So the like weird sci-fi futuristic but very realistic, like grounded sci-fi kind mm. of vibes, is what the kind of origins of the Number Five design come from. And the design for Number Five is the only thing that made that film memorable. It's the and most, yeah. yeah. It's also by far the most expensive thing about that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Because like different... 10% of the budget was building. Yes. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there are various different versions of Number Five as well in yeah. different states of like destruction and yeah. like like we said, one, one for parachuting, things. one for hang gliding, yeah, yeah, one yeah. for this kind of, kind of bollocks. Like each one's a fucking action figure that happened to cost millions of dollars each time. Like, yeah. it's paragliding Batman and Arctic Batman. <laughs> like, that one's five million, that one's six it's, million. It's like, oh it's, God. It's graffitied over Batman. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's carving dying yeah. into a wall, Batman. The line Gutenberg says was like, oh, it's a five million dollar piece of tech. I was on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no, no. He's probably giving you the actual cost yeah, of the yeah. fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Exactly, yeah. And you're totally right. Like, influences on things like Wally are so... Yeah. Going back are so obvious yeah. with the like eyes that tilt and the 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 eyebrows that are so expressive on yes. 
number five slash Johnny five. And yeah, I remembered lines and moments and stuff like that from it, but never really kind of the plot never really sunk in really. And me going and watching other people do the similar kind of thing that I did of, oh yeah, I grew up watching this. I'm going to go watch it for the first time in 10, 15 years on YouTube. A bunch of people really like it. Oh, I was God like, damn it. Yeah. It was a couple of different YouTube channels. Thankfully, a couple of them were like, oh, no, no, thank you. One of them watched this. There's a video essay about how the second one is better than the first one. I'm like, hold uh, on a minute. The second one has more going on in it. In a way, it's, it's weirdly comparable to the Charlie's Angels films. Ooh. Because the first one is incredibly straightforward. Uh, it's like, ah, the robot comes alive. The people who made the robot don't want it to be alive. And so they try and hunt the robot down. And then the robot makes a friend, and then they get away. Yeah. The second one has all manner of bullshit going yeah. on, and subplots, and stuff like that, that mm. it really doesn't need. But there is more going on in it. Mm. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's released around the time of so many other similar bits that mm. it becomes forgettable. It feels, in a weird way, Short Circuit 1 and 2, in terms of like the quality of the, episode, of the, of the nature of the films, um, is that it feels like a TV series. It feels like an episodic, like, you know, on this high-budget show, this is what Johnny Five does on this day. Yeah. And it's like, sure, it's a long, big-budget episode of a TV series Like, I don't give a shit about. Because yeah. it doesn't feel ex- especially expensive, even though it very much was an expensive film. Um, the, the, there's a very... You can completely envision a way in which the first film is like the pilot episode, and yes. rather than going to a far more Mont- Montana, Steve Gutenberg's like, well, now we've got to go on the run and keep you away from the government. And and it's the Incredible Hulk, but with a robot. Exactly. That's kind of how it feels all over, really. Mm. And it doesn't feel cinematic in a weird way, even though there's th- there are sequences which you could say, well, that clearly has to cost a lot of money. And again, people cast like Gutenberg as the lead in a sort of like, oh, around the time he was doing Police Academy and mm. well, before Three Men and a Baby, but just it was just bland ass fucking Gutenberg. It was it was the height of Gutenberg. Which is a weird thing to say because he's like, eh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like a very low height, yeah. like a little hill in Norfolk somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> our famously flat county. Yeah, and the same era as uh, G. W. Bailey being in Police Academy as well. Because you're like, who's the bad guy in uh, in Short Circuit? And you're like, government guy. Yeah. It's like, is it G. W. Bailey? It's, no, no, because he's in Police. You're thinking of like Gutenberg. No, yeah. but he's in Police Academy. It's like, he's in this too. What? No, 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 the the guy from the eighties, that guy. Yeah, that guy. Eighties yeah, yeah. guy, and they're like playing the same character basically. Pretty much. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, only Ali Sheedy is just literally a Ali Sheedy, who was the cool kid, the best kid at the start of Breakfast Club, then got a downgrade <laughs> <laughs> from fucking Emilio Estevez. Yeah, it's like here, make her look like this. And like, oh, uh, okay, now you've you've given her this awful glow down. Yeah, and Emilio West as a partner, as a partner, and then she's run off and become this ridiculous farm she's, of animals. She's very, she's like a prototype manic pixie dream girl. In she this. really, really is. Except instead of Zach Braff, it's a equally robot. ugly robot. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Johnny but, Five definitely wants to fuck her. <laughs> Johnny Five he is might as well. So many of the people in both of these hit films far too horny for like a family friendly film. Family friendly film. Based on a robot. Yes. Like, I, 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 I grant the fact that, like, if they were also trying to fuck E.T., that's still weird. <laughs> <laughs> but at least he's fuckable, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd say the robot's more fuckable than E.T. Speak for yourself. But I was going to say... What that laser do? Yeah. <laughs> input. Uh, but, input uh, in the laser lips. <laughs> more <laughs> input. A bit pushy. 
but but although I did remember as a kid uh, or young, but when I'm back to him saying software when looking at tits and thinking, I I remember early on hardware and software the difference. Thinking, no, software's like a program. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say that um, with regards to Ali Sheedy, the only real uh, anecdote I remember from the film in general when making it behind the scenes is that Ali Sheedy was told, I think mostly as a prank, that she just genuinely believed and got very pissed off about, that the robot was real. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just like, oh, it's a puppet. So she thought they'd actually created this thing as a co-star and believed it and got very, 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 very angry when she found out it wasn't the case. Do you know how they puppeted it? Have you seen the behind-the-scenes stuff? Yeah, yeah. The, the sort of... Full upper body, like, yeah. it's called a telemetry mm. scene, which is basically very, very early motion capture. But with puppets, mm-hmm. which is mental, and seeing this guy going, whoa, and then hearing Tim Blaney go, whoa, that's number five. I, I so mean, strange. I, I understand why it has the legacy it does, because even now watching it, it is very impressive that there is a robot that is driving around independent of, like, it's not, as far as we can see on the film, it's not, like, plugged into anything. There's no man in there. Yeah, and it's very obviously not being, like, it's not a, pu- uh, a man in a suit kind of stuff. It's not Star Wars. Exactly. It's it's impressive in its capabilities. Um, and I think that's probably why it has stuck in people's brains, because especially at the time, if you were a kid watching it, that was like, oh, my God, you can make that. That that means that like in 10 years' time, I'll have a robot friend in my house. And that was the dream of the 80s. Yeah. And a monkey butler. Exactly. Um, and communism. And lots of cocaine. <laughs> and and um, cocaine. Yes, it's true. Uh, a, ro- a robot to serve you cocaine. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's that's basically the reason why it has sustained. Because when you go back to actually watch it, the film is—it's a hollow film. It's completely. There's, there's nothing to no, it. It's just him, like, able to speed read books, and you're like, "Oh, I wish I could do that." And then you see the Matrix and go, "Ah, right, I understand now." Yeah. <laughs> Shall we get into the synopses? Mm, yes. Just in case you haven't seen the '86 or the '88 movie, mm. as Matt said earlier. Don't bother. Nah. Tim's got you covered. Yeah. yeah. We we will save you the effort. We'll give you the plot synopses of both movies. So, Short Circuit, 1986, as Jack just said. Nova Labs, a robotics manufacturer in Astoria, Oregon. For some reason, it's set in the same place as the Goonies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, demonstrates its new prototype called Saint. Strategic, artificially intelligent nuclear transport. Dumb. Uh, to US military personnel, impressing them. There's a whole thing where it's it's meant to like carry bombs into Russia, or it's like gets parachuted over to Russia, sure, and then set off the bombs and serve gin and tonic. Exactly. Doctor Howard Marner, president of Nova, is pleased, but Newton Crosby and Ben Jabutaya, the engineers who created the Saint, are in two minds about using the robot as a tool of warfare. Ben is the aforementioned brown face character, by the way, folks. Yep. Just in case you were, uh... we we will get back. Oh yeah. To that. Oh yeah. After the demonstration, lightning strikes a generator that is being used to charge Saint Number 5, damaging it. Two workers send it to be repaired, but the malfunctioning robot leaves Nova's facilities, eventually making its way into a food truck owned by Stephanie Speck. Like the other prototypes, Number 5 is armed with a powerful laser capable of destroying a tank, and when Dr. Mana, Crosby, and Jupiter realise that it is missing, they scramble to recover it. I want to point something out there. That laser can destroy a tank. Yes. We'll come back to that. Yep. <laughs> what do you think was... wins? Tank destroying lasers or rocks? I guess we'll have to find out later on. Oregon rocks are hardcore. Also, those robots 
have the laser on them and like th- there's nothing that they, they they act independently and obviously they've got a power themselves plus the laser so the laser can't be taking that much power because their batteries aren't that big mm-hmm. which means you could just have blokes running around with those lasers yeah but tim wouldn't be as fun though tim. drones <laughs> basically just drones true yeah they're drones with wheels aren't they yeah johnny five is alive and then he just fucking die bombs into a fucking into a wedding somewhere. Yeah. But, but not these civilians in the Middle East. <laughs> oh, Wee. <hell>. Input. <laughs> Dead. Disassemble. <laughs> to be fair, this is what they were being built for. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Our He's fe- a war machine. The, the 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 hilarious hijinks of our past and our family entertainment becoming the horrors of our contemporary wars. Yeah. Thumbs up, guys. Stephanie, an eccentric animal lover, discovers number five and thinks it is an alien. Because she reacts in a way that no human She's so does. fucking dumb. Uh, she takes it into her home and provides it with input in the form of visual and verbal stimuli, allowing it to develop language skills and name itself number five. First fucking thing. She says, okay, input. Um, this is a house. This is a floor. Yeah. The opposite of that is a ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's the first thing you've <laughs> said? Jesus Christ. Uh, Realising, finally, that it is a robot designed by Nova, she contacts the lab and Dr. Mana orders Newton and Ben to recover and disassemble the malfunctioning prototype. While waiting for Nova to arrive, Number 5 accidentally crushes a grasshopper and learns about death. Oh, yeah, it's not a frog, it's a grasshopper. Yeah. It is a grasshopper. Disassemble. <laughs> he is dead. <laughs> Concluding that if he is disassembled, he will die, he decides to escape, stealing Stephanie's truck. Nova is able to follow him using a tracking device, and Newton and Ben recover him, only for number five to reactivate himself somehow. <laughs> they switch him off, and then he just switches himself back on, which makes you wonder, what did the switching off actually accomplish? Hi, ho, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yippee ki <laughs> uh, So he reactivates himself, removes the tracking beacon, and escapes once again, returning to Stephanie. Based on the robot's unusual actions, Newton becomes convinced something has changed Number 5's programming, and they should take care not to damage it during recovery. However, Dr. Marner sends Nova's security chief, the gung-ho Captain Scroder, named that purely so they could make scrotum Scrotum jokes jokes, uh, to recapture number five along with three other saint prototypes number five is able to outwit the other prototypes reprogramming them to act like the three stooges and he escapes taking newton with him stephanie and number five convince newton that number five has become sentient newton promises not to disassemble him also, around this point, Stephanie's shitty boyfriend shows up and tries to steal number five, but it doesn't matter. Uh, although <laughs> he does get shot with a laser that just makes his trousers fall down. Yep. Again. It shoots his belt buckle that tank. destroy a tank. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, pew! Yeah. And just takes although, his pants. to be his... fair, you could maybe do it like a lower setting. Well, they have set phases to stun hmm. on your pants. <laughs> Stunning pants setting. <laughs> <laughs> It's a hell of a belt buckle, to be fair. It, yeah. it was, it's, it's quite a, a chunky belt like buckle. It's like six inches across. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's got, basically got a hubcap yeah. strapped to yeah. his waist. <laughs> Unfortunately, Captain Scroder has called in the US Army to assist in recapturing the robot. He has Newton and Stephanie restrained and opens fire, opens fire on number five. Good. <laughs> <laughs> 
in order it's to about pro- damn time. In order to protect his friends, Number Five leads the army away and appears to be destroyed by a helicopter missile. Dismayed over the loss of his research, Doctor Marner fires Captain Scroder. Newton quits Nova, and he and Stephanie drive away in Nova's van, only to discover that Number Five has hidden himself there no. after building a decoy from spare parts. Newton decides to take Number Five to his father's ranch in Montana, where they can live in seclusion, and Stephanie agrees to join them. As they drive off, Number Five decides to name himself Johnny. After the Debarge song. The song that's playing on the radio. Yeah. A bunch of shit songs in this movie. <laughs> there's some, there's, True. Some real 80s crap. It's kind of fascinating because it's right in that period when you would have a movie in a, so- uh, a song in a movie and it, like, they would become inextricably linked and it would cause the song to become a mega hit. We, we mentioned the director. He's also the director of Saturday Night Fever, by the way. Yeah. Perfect which, example which right there. Which they watch in this film. They literally watch and recreate their dance moves. For extended periods of time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, you're totally right. You get those moments where you get a song done for the soundtrack by that 80s yeah. band. And then, oh my God, that's the song it's, from that movie. You know, and yeah. it's Take My Breath Away by Berlin yeah. and Top Gun and all, all that kind of stuff around this area. Ghostbusters. It, yeah. And yeah. this film has like four or five songs. It tries to like go like, hey, pay attention. Look, he's dancing to that song. None of them are fucking hits. Nope. All of them are completely unmemorable. Multiple ones by Debarge. Yeah, fucking loves some Debarge. And nobody gives a fuck about. My only reference point for Debarge, uh, apart from the, the, the one song that people do know, which I found out about later, is that there's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they make a comment about how all vampires dress like Debarge. <laughs> God damn, that's a reference. Wow. Christ. It's a very empty movie, isn't it? It's yeah, like, there's like not nothing a lot happens. Happening. Yeah. Um, which is why people say that like, they love the movie. I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah. You, you enjoy that there's a cool robot puppet. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Yeah. You can like that bit of it. That, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's just that when you say you love the movie, it's like, well, who's your favorite character? And it better not be, well, excluding... Number five. Yes. You don't have an answer. Because if no. you're saying Ali Sheedy, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Saying Steve Gutenberg, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying Bailey, you're thinking of Police Academy. Yeah. If, if you say Ben, what the fuck, fuck is you wrong are with a you? racist. Yeah. Um, I love the things he says when he gets the words wrong. He's like, oh, great. Yeah. That's his entire character, apart from being a white guy playing an Indian guy. Sure. Oh, he said bimbo instead of bingo. Well, they also do the thing more so in the second film, yep. but it's there in the first film. Which, in the first film, they also have Steve Gutenberg be a weird, I'm a nerd who doesn't know how to talk to women in a way that no actual nerd is. Because yeah. Ben thinks Steve Gutenberg, I never remember Steve Gutenberg's character, just called Steve Gutenberg. Yeah. <laughs> he remembers, he gets like, you know women, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I've read about them. He's like, oh, so you're both like weird incel virgins. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's but the Gutenberg's whole... trying to give this energy like, I'm just playing this character. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not really like this. No, no, no. I'm a cool ladies man. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm teaching this thing to play the piano, and it's it's almost got it, and it's flipping people off, and it's like you feel like a bit of a like a fingering jokery kind of guy. He kind of wants to be Peter Venkman. He kind of does. Yeah, Um, but this be Aykroyd is it or be be Egon? I don't want to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And get this weird hodgepodge of both then. Yeah. Right. So they yep. both have a very, like, we're awkward about around girls vibe, which the second one doubles down on for Ben. Yep. Uh, oh, in a major yeah. way. Yeah, it does. Um, which has all weird racial connotations as well. <laughs> the uh, second one, I can understand why people would say it's superior to the first. 
because of the fact that the story has more things it happening. Has a story. Yes. yes. But the problem is all the problematic stuff is magnified so much. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of unwatchable. Yep. Yeah. But we'll get to that in a second. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, 1988. Take only, us away. Only two years later, because got a strike while the robotic iron is hot. Yeah, it's a classic turnaround. Um, this thing cannot leave the 80s. Yeah, for people who are not aware, Steve Gutenberg does not return for this film. Ali Sheedy does not return for this film. Decided to centre it on Ben, who you'll note from that previous synopsis, doesn't actually feature that much no. in the film. He's mostly there yeah. to... Ha- so Steve Gutenberg has another person to talk to. Yeah, that's it. He set joke. He's... They set jokes up, basically. Yes, exactly. Steve Gutenberg, you do this right. Uh, well, whippy comment. Oh, great. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> what do we eat in this country? Twinkies? It's not really food. Oh, okay. That's not even a line from the film, but it sounds like it could be. Something. Yeah. Like, that kind of bull- 80s bullshit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... Greatest decade, my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Having been fired from Nova after the events of the first film, Ben Jabutaya has started a toy company selling smaller replicas of Johnny Five, while working and living from the back of a truck. Also, his name is Ben Javiri now, because they're all the same, these foreigns, ain't they? Seriously, <laughs> yeah. They just change his name. Yep. Jabotia becomes his like middle name all of a sudden. You're like... They, okay. never, they never reference his surname from the first one again. It, it, yeah, it, it's so weird. Yeah. To be fair, to, to credit to the character, not the weird racial stuff. I have to keep saying that. Those mini Johnny Fires are really fucking impressive. Yes, but they, def- they also definitely feel like... Hey, these will be in stores this this December, kids. Please buy them. Apparently, they weren't, and they never made them in real life. I was going to say, I remember bonkers. I I looked it up. I was like, nothing. That's really cool. That's like a genuine. Oh, if I could get one of those, that I could. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. They never actually went into production. I'd go so far as to say I don't remember any short circuit merch exactly at all, which is kind of wild because this film feels so much like it's set up. We we already said like the action figure thing, yeah, Batman action figures. There's like four or five different Different Johnny Five, Johnny Five modes. You've got the evil robots. You've got him all beat up and stuff. You've got Punk Johnny. Like there's so many different options. Fuck ton of Gremlin stuff. Yeah, Gremlins is still around. Yeah. You can still buy Gremlins yeah. t-shirts on like Truffle Shuffle and Merchoid yeah. and all those yeah. places. Short Circuit is like a, oh, that's a weird looking Wally. And that's what we're, where we are now with it. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he's made these toys. Uh, one of his robots wanders away from his stall on the sidewalk and makes its way into the office of Sandy Banatoni, an assistant buyer for a department store's toy section. She tracks down Ben and tries to order a thousand of the toys. Ben is initially hesitant about his ability to fulfill such a large order, but Fred Ritter, a con artist who is selling fake Rolexes, overhears and pretends to be his partner. He accepts the deal, upping Ben's prices, and later borrows money from a loan shark to buy materials. So Fred. Better call Saul vibe in there yes. somewhere. Funnily enough, because Fred is played by Michael <laughs> McKean, yep. who is Charles McGill, <laughs> yep. his old, which is, by the way, Saul, Saul Goodman's older brother yep. back in the day mm. in Better Call Saul. Also, Michael McKean. One of the better things about this movie. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Michael McKean's always great. He was it from the start. I'd been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Would this have been. When was, when was this in relation to Spinal Tap? This would be. Afterwards. Post. Post yeah. Spinal Tap. Yeah. Probably about. I want to say three or four years. Yeah. 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 They give you around and look quite a few bits and pieces. Yeah. Days, yeah. But yes. Very. Good actor, Michael McKean. Dependable comedian. Better yes. than Gutenberg, yeah. Michael McKean. A- yeah. Able to play smarm. Um, without being uh, too uh, abrasively unlikable. Yes. 
feels like he might have appeared in a Home Alone once, but he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, ben and Fred move into a derelict warehouse to begin production, having hired temporary workers. However, a pair of thieves, Saunders and Jones, are using the warehouse's basement to tunnel through to a neighbouring bank vault and steal a set of jewels known as the Van Der Veer Collection. Saunders and Jones attack Ben and Fred, destroying their equipment and causing the workers to flee. Left with no way to fulfil the order, Ben and Fred start to despair, but then discover that Newton and Stephanie have sent Johnny Five to the city to help them make the Jesus toys. Jesus Christ, number five's in this film! <laughs> yeah! Uh, we, get, we get a little audio recording of Ali Sheedy, which is the extent of her appearance in this film. Mm-hmm. Steve Gutenberg paid for it. couldn't even be fucked with that. <laughs> Johnny begins mass-producing the toys, uh, and when Saunders and Jones return... He fends them off and sets up defences should they try to break in again. Later, while Ben is attending citizenship classes, Fred lets slip that Johnny f- to Johnny Five that he is in a major city. Seeking input, Johnny leaves the warehouse and wanders the city, encountering many people who are unfriendly or shocked by his appearance, because he's a fucking robot. Of course they would be. New York! Well, they never. it's never quite confirmed if it's in New York. And they also, That's at one point, true. someone hands him a guide and says, like, hey, it's a guide to the city, and it's definitely got the St. Louis Space Arch on the front. That's a good point, Tim. I've always just, yeah. I think, we, I think the whole point is that you do the fill in the gap. Of yes. It, yeah. Because mm. I, I checked, I was like, is it New York? And it's like, it's an unconfirmed, it's the city from the Matrix. Yeah. That's what it is. Brilliant. Um, so, yes, he, he wanders around the city and he encounters car thieves who get him to break into a bunch of cars because he doesn't know better. Yep, and he he's gets... just a child. It's like Chappie. Exactly. Uh, working, his... <laughs> <laughs> working his way back to the warehouse, he befriends one man, Oscar Baldwin, who works at the bank that Saunders and Jones are trying to break into. Fred learns that Johnny is worth $11 million and decides to try and sell him. Again, probably not far off. Yeah, yeah. In what feels like it's going to be a setup for like a big subplot because the people he tries to sell him to are like, Oh my god, he that's a that's a Nova robot. They didn't they all disappear? And like, oh, these these people who build him, they're geniuses. And then that never comes back again. Nope. Nope. Uh so when he eventually realizes what is happening, Johnny flees using a crashes out of a building and hang glides. Yep. Like a robot does. He so backs out of the building, doesn't he? Yeah. Like yeah. literally just No, no, no. Oh yeah. no. I flew away. Yeah. And then as he lands which we don't see, I don't think. He lands in the park and nobody notices he's there. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is this giant thing? <laughs> uh, he is eventually taken into police custody and stored as stolen property until Ben is able to recover him. Johnny and Ben discuss the fact that they are both lonely, and Johnny helps Ben to woo Sandy, the toy buyer. Running out of time to break into the bank and steal the jewels, Saunders and Jones contact the mastermind behind the plan, Oscar Baldwin. Dun, dun, dun. Oh my fuck. Oscar, having befriended Johnny Five, convinces him to dig the tunnel beneath the warehouse and break into the bank vault. Meanwhile, Saunders and Jones kidnap Ben and Fred, locking them in the freezer of a Chinese restaurant. After Johnny retrieves the jewels, Oscar orders Saunders and Jones to destroy the robot, fearing it could be a witness. And they beat him up, and one of them gets sprayed with, like, battery fluid that looks like blood. Yeah. (laughs) Uh... Ben is able to get a message to Sandy, who deduces where they are and rescues them. But when the trio arrive at the warehouse, Ben and Sandy are arrested by the police, who have followed, followed the tunnel back from the bank vault. Fred manages to avoid getting arrested and searches the city for Johnny, 
finding him badly damaged with only two hours of backup battery before his internal memory is wiped. Fred and Johnny break into a radio shack and Johnny guides Fred through making some repairs with limited success. Still malfunctioning and enraged, Johnny decides to pursue Oscar and the thieves, tracking them down and causing their car to crash. He becomes Skynet. (laughs) Uh, Saunders and Jones are defeated by Johnny and arrested, but Oscar flees on a boat. With little time left on his battery, Johnny uses a crane to swing over to Oscar's boat and capture him. Ben, Fred and Sandy arrive as Johnny's battery counts down and depletes, but Ben is able to use a defibrillator to revive Johnny. I hate that so much. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's just how you fix a, a thing, isn't that's it? That's not how electricity Plug works. it in, you slag. <laughs> yeah. Later, a fully repaired Johnny has become a celebrity, enabling Fred, Ben and Sandy to start their own toy company. Ben and a now gold-plated Johnny take the oath of allegiance and are declared United States citizens. I, I'm pretty sure that when we mentioned that this won the Patreon vote, there was a note from John Scarrow, who said, you better keep that gold play at 25. <laughs> <laughs> I could be remembering that so wrong, but I'm convinced that's what the conversation went down like. Because um, it's one of the only memorable bits. It's like, oh shit, they see 3 people that fuck. Yeah. Well, a lot happens in the second one. A lot happens. I mean, it's I've, just most of it's bad. Yes. Um, hey we, guys, we... are you ending up doing Teen Wolf or Short Circuit 2? Has it been decided yet? Turns out we're doing Short Circuit 2, John. You leave Short Circuit 2 alone, you absolute monsters. Oh, there it is. Johnny Five slowly turning the pages of Pinocchio, crying emoji. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Never mind, this is as far back as when John was designing us as Paul Blart Mall Cops. (laughs) Yeah. But he's been defending Short Circuit 2 for a while. This is how far ahead we planned, by the way. Yeah, we always knew. That was like three months ago at this point. (laughs) It's back in June, it's now September. may not feel like it, we are all over it. But, um... Yeah, I don't like these movies. Um, when they were on the list, I thought, ooh, Teen Wolf. Actually, you know what? If that won it, that could be quite interesting. You could do all kinds of stuff with that. Mm. Um, you could age it up and make it a sexual fucking uni wolf. <laughs> 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 um, or you could do like Never Ending Story. The God, the, the fucking fodder for Never Ending Story. Mm. Intense. Short Circuit. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Because you've got to come out of Short Circuit 1 and... It's a film that is, as we said before about the idea of it feeling like a pilot episode of a thing, mm. you could keep the, the same thing running on, you could do different things, um, but the cultural footprint is the novelty of the puppet. Yeah. Um, and, and they do the classic 80s thing of like, oh, he's going undercover, he's going to wear a fucking uh, rain mac. <laughs> That'll, that'll blim. It's like they did the same thing with the turtles. Like, what are you doing? I do love that whenever superheroes do it in comics. Like, if you put the thing in a trench oh, coat, yeah. I love. You never like, see him, yeah. As bad as those Tim Story films the, are, the I thing, love. The thing, the thing, or the, the crow, the thing, or the man, the thing? <laughs> the thing, the rock, the man, the thing. The ever loving blue eyed thing. Ah. Aunt Petunia's favourite The, the Ben, the thing. I yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those, as bad as those Tim Story films are, I'm glad that they got in. They kept that in, they, yeah. The thing in a fedora and yeah. trench coat, and it's like, nobody can tell. <laughs> oh, no. We can see it's you, Michael Chiglis. <laughs> <laughs> um, to continue the conversation, there's a, there's a later bit with John here. Oh, I've got further with Garrett. We were talking about the joking about the Master and Commander cinematic universe. Okay, and one of them had Treason's Harbor as a <laughs> subtitle. And Matt, who by the way is fixing this episode, yep, uh, chose that as his Short Circuit Two subtitle. So <laughs> Short Circuit Two, Treason's Harbor. 
Oh, I should have kept. Doesn't that. make sense, <laughs> but it doesn't need to because it's too good. And John just replies with, "You better be gold plated at the end." So help me God. <laughs> and Matthew, spoiler alert for the pitch, folks. Oh, what did I write? He ain't. I'm telling you right that now. I'm telling you that right now. Johnny C3PO is not in my film. <laughs> it's, I mean, there it's, you go. Behind the scenes of the of the yeah. chats that we have with it Mr. John, it sounded like we should have got John Scarrett on as like a guest sequelizer for this one. He's clearly a man who has some passion behind his. Appreciation he's, of a short li- he's a little older than I am, so maybe he had that more of appreciation from maybe less cynicism from like, oh, it's an older movie, whatever. Maybe, maybe, but also, nah, it's shit in it. Um, we'll find out on Twitter or Facebook, I suppose. We'll feel the wrath. We'll yeah. feel the wrath of it. Um, so yeah, I I think these films are, are wonderfully forgettable, and it's one of the things when people say like, oh, you have to see the classics, you have to see these things from when I was a kid, Back to the Future from the eighties. Like, yeah, this still holds up. Back to the Future is m- so much better than this movie. Of course, yeah. of course it is. But they're saying that if you give it to, a, uh, here's a here's a key example. A friend of mine um, has kids, uh, stepkids, and he's trying to get them into Star Wars. Right. He's only just managed to get them into The Force Awakens because even the prequels, the kids go, old. it looks old. Yeah. And it's like here's the first five minutes of. Uh, a New Hope, and they're like, I'm not watching this. No, the, the, the answer to that is Clone Wars. Oh, I guess. Clone Wars fucking brilliant. Yeah, oh, and, no, the series. Very... I thought you meant the film. No, Attack <laughs> of the... No! The animated Obviously movie. the animated series. Okay, well, yeah, no, you're, you're or right. Rebels, either one. Yeah, like, yeah. They're both great. I mean, the, and the... animated and kid-friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I meant it's more that he's trying to transition them into the movie-verse and saying, watch this. But they're like, nah, I don't want it. It's old. And this is the whole example of like... like the same way with Jack, with, we talk about like um, uh, Revenge of the Creature. Black Lagoon, and it's like, oh god, this is, this is old. This is black and white old. This feels old. Everything about the filmmaking feels fucking old, and not in a, I can get through this kind of way. It's not in a timeless, all that that's really well done kind of way. No, which we come across pretty regularly on the show. We we've talked about it like, going far back as like the stunts episode. We're talking about Buster Keaton and and stuff, and how impressively shot some of that stuff is, and Mm -hmm. how. Incredible that that performance still is, and mm. even going as far back as Metropolis, we talked about of course. in our robots episode. Like we covered a lot of these older movies. Yeah, some things just feel of their time and are so like, oh yeah, but it was alright. Mm. Yeah, it's like was it though? And I, I said this earlier. Like a lot of people have that excuse for this movie being not just kind of like forgettable and bland, but the whole brown face thing and and the other problematic elements there. Of it being like, well, it was the 80s. Like, right, but you knew brownface wasn't okay in the 80s. Again, you're not talking 100 years ago. This is within most people's lifetimes. See, this is where it gets the interesting point, because you do get that innocence of childhood mindset where people are like, I didn't know. I didn't know. You, no, no, yes. that's the, no, no, I, no, I literally yeah, didn't know same. until two days ago. I, I think most of I, I wouldn't have known as a kid. I just gone, oh, okay, because you're being told. This is what these established yeah. reality okay. is. Imagine your parents sitting down and say, "This is a film about a robot, and the Indian man is actually a white man." You're like, but the robot's real, right? <laughs> the robot's real. Oh, the robot's real. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, fine. Okay, weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, point, I, yeah, I think that's a, th- a thing that a lot of people bump up against whenever stuff from their youth gets criticised. Is like we're not criticising you for not knowing that, for not knowing better when you yeah. watched it. Not criticizing you for having fond memories of it. You kind of still like it if you want yeah. to enjoy it. It's like we're just saying that. Hey, it's that, bad. That, hey, hey, that was pretty messed up, and you certainly wouldn't do that nowadays. Yeah. Um, In the words of Fisher Stevens himself. Yes. Yep. If we had made it ten years later, we wouldn't have got away with that shit. And we're thirty-six years later. Yeah. 
we wouldn't get away with that shit. And I know we've got comments on this before. The one-star review I love to drag out of the mud every now and then, oh, yeah? which is the uh, woke SJW snowflakes <laughs> judging old movies that everybody loves by modern bullshit standards, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. We are, but as I said, that was a thing in the 80s. We're not talking about shit that was 100 years ago mm. or even 50 years ago. It's yeah. within... It's not it's, birth of a fucking nation. Yeah, it, exactly, it, yeah. Yeah, it's like, especially like people of colour at the time knew that shit wasn't all right. It's yeah. just that those voices have slowly become amplified so that now more people have to be confronted with the fact that doing stuff like that yeah. isn't right. Yeah. yeah, precisely. Exactly. And I think, we're, like I said, we're in the era of 80s nostalgia. We've just gone past that, thank God. Mm. Yeah, we're well, out of the cycle now. We're in the 90s. You've seen people with big jeans with pockets all the way down the <laughs> legs. I'm like, I remember those and hated them 30 years ago. I hate them now. It, it's oh, not no. even the fashion stuff. It's things that you don't expect coming back. And um, again, it's, it's through a contemporary lens. I always, always bring up things like Stranger Things um, because it's like, Oh, this is the eighties. We're like, it's like, no, it fucking wasn't. That's um, rose tinted glasses. Yeah, 80s. yeah. The eighties. Yeah, yeah. These you, kids you, would... you watch fucking Short Circuit. That is a brown and olive green film. Yeah, it is not what you think it was. It's a remarkably. Yeah, it's, all, it's all synth wave and whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no the... it was Dabash. No. <laughs> and the nineties is one of those weird times where, um, it, I wrote about the article about this recently for work. Uh, the idea of controversy. And video game advertising would be like a woman tied to a bed. And someone's like, you know, your hands are just too goddamn busy playing Game Boy. Mm. And it's like, this feels remarkably awful. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but it was, bad. it was terrible at the time. Everyone knew it was terrible at the time. Um, and the thing is about Short Circuit that's fascinating. And this is one of those instances where people will defend the death. You know, oh, Gremlins has moments of this isn't great. Yeah, but Gremlins is good. Yeah, fair play. Uh, Back to the Future's got some really fucked up commentary on stuff. Yeah, but to be fair, Back to the Future is really entertaining. Fair play, no problem with that. Short Circuit's problematic. People will say, I kind of liked it when I was a kid. Very few people will say, but it's good. Yeah. Now, there, there but, will be obviously, of course, people who will say it's, they enjoyed it yeah. and they, they have fond memories of it. But the pacing is so fucking slow. The, the, the action sequences are eh, moderately entertaining to a degree, mm. but they're very few and far between. Yeah. The robot shenanigans are fucking annoying <laughs> which means when you were a little boy like i was mm. it was engaging entertaining because it was a minion-esque yeah. level of shite but um overall all the human characters are annoying so yeah 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 i think you know comparing it if we're going to kind of do like like versus like kind of stuff back to the future came out a year before this and back to the future same no? but holds yeah, up that, yeah so much better than this you know if you're talking about Family-friendly stuff that's sci-fi tinged, you know. Considering the sci-fi elements yeah. are about 15 to 20 minutes of content. Yes. The rest is, hey, 50s were great. Yeah. You know, and the the human side of it is so much worse in Short Circuit. There's just oh, infinitely. nothing there. Even though the friendship between Marty and Doc is weird as hell and never gets addressed. Yeah. You know, they're Friendly. just friends. But it's explained in the Telltale video game that came out 20 years later, Tim. No questions, Your Honour. Short Circuit needs a Telltale video game. That's what we were saying. Oh, I'm surprised they fucking didn't. There was that I'm surprised where... they didn't have like a LucasArts 1992 point. At that point, 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 point
footprint being so shallow, you'd think they want to recover the money because of um, the the expense that went into making these movies. Um, but again, I don't, and I think it was a case of like the toys must have been so expensive to try and manufacture in the same way that I had a lot of Transformers toys as a kid. Mm. And they did not look anything like the fucking Transformers <laughs> on TV. The Optimus Prime one was great. Yeah. And sometimes you'd make the toy first and you'd try and animate around it, obviously. Um, and that's how a lot of things in the deregulated 80s were like. Uh, thank you, Reagan. But now you've got these like solar Jagokan fucking <laughs> 200 pound toys that like show accurate, yeah. perfect, whatever the hell it is. But that being said, Short Circuit is still a... I think, if I'm brutally honest, we're about 15 years away from Short Circuit being forgotten entirely. Because we will, yeah. we will, we will be in our, what, late 40s, early 50s kind of thing. And there'll be so much recycled content nostalgia that's like, oh, this is, you know, um, Predator in 50 different iterations. No one's crying out for a Short Circuit remake. Yeah. I think, you know, you could take, say, like a your average... 22 year old or something yep and say what do you know about back to the future and they would probably be able to t- even if they hadn't seen the film they might be able to tell you a few things about it yep i think if you said to them what do you know about short circuit that they they would be very few and far between that would be able to say i agree anything about it short circuit is only brought up by people like me when something like wally or Chappie comes out and you're like well kind of feel like the design's akin to something else and feel like the stories are, i've seen this before mm. but the truth is that we don't we have so many stories about robotics that are well, better and stronger and more interesting. It even references them, sort of, in mm. Short Circuit 2 because he has his copy of Pinocchio and his copy of Frankenstein. And it's yeah. the same story. It's human makes a thing and it comes to life and mm-hmm. now we deal with the repercussions of that and the thing is dealing with the existential crisis of what does it mean to be alive? Yep, disassembled. Uh, and that story's been told many times yep. and a lot better. Definitely. Uh, I, I will give it a small, tiny amount of credit Uh-oh. for doing it in a kid's film, Yeah, which fair. is quite interesting topic to try and tackle in a kid's film. And I, can't... I feel after E.T. that was a lot of 80s kids' films. I think, I think that's the thing. Yeah. I think it this... was like, should we give these kids trauma? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Let's, let's take their beloved thing. And I can't... I... Make your best friend. I can't it. think of one off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's like a Pixar or similar film that would be dealing with very similar topics and probably yeah. doing it so much better than this. Um, mm-hmm. Not just in terms of like the filmmaking, but just in terms of like the writing. Because yeah. yeah. that's the thing. These films are written like dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> very true. They're, they're, they are bad. And to compare to another contemporary film, uh, like Ali Sheedy's character in... Breakfast Club is interesting and has depth yes. and complexity to her. And in this, she's just like, she likes animals and she seems to understand almost as little about the world as Johnny Five does. Yeah, she's remarkably weird as a character. I find her so strange to... Well, Gutenberg I kind of get because he is rote level nonsense he's it's like just... i'm a nerd but i'm also kind of a swarmy kind of nerd like not really um sorry a, a suave kind of smarmy kind of nerd as long as mm. i put my toe that one but um ali sheedy is at one point like so hippie-ish so heartfelt so oh no you gotta feel emotion mm. oh no my plates and that's i'm just like oh i guess we're gonna have to get you like patched up and disassembled and she's se- seemingly very outraged 
when she finds out he's a robot and not an alien. Mm. Like, but you're just a robot? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, I want you to be an alien. Why? Yeah. It's it's a it's a different sentient life the, form. Is that not a problem for you? The only person who really feels like a person in any of these films is Michael McKean's character. Yep. Yes. Uh, yes, entirely. Which is he has an arc. Yeah, he, ha- he has an arc. He's like, I'm gonna sell this robot. Oh wait, the robot's alive. Now I feel bad about that. Yeah. I'll be his friend. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, everyone else is this weird sketch of a character that is just there to move the plot from A to B. Yeah, they're very much hollow archetypes. Uh, because again, at the end of the day, the film knows full well it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to want to see the robot do robot things. Oh, look, it's going fast. Yeah. Oh, look, its eyebrows are so high up. Oh, God, he's angry. His yeah. eyes are red now. Oh, great. Yeah. And it and the pop culture references and the oh, quoting Jesus. that Johnny Fuck Five does hell. is That's so his, irritating. His entire personality is just quotes from other stuff. Yeah. And it's Lord. hard to watch because when you're a kid, you don't understand the references. And now you'd be, God, you'd be so high-pressed on any of them. Uh, even the Three Stooges stuff. Yeah. It would have been like 20 or 30 years old in the 80s. Yeah. So once again, it's 50s and 60s references from like TV and film. And you're like, I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. I don't understand any of this stuff. Yeah. I'm so confused. But the robot did it in a silly voice. You know what? I guess it's funny. Yeah. Should probably fix it then, I suppose. Yeah. This is quite a challenging one, I Good feel like, Matt. Luck, in, Matthew. In, 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 yeah. Unless you do something radical, which, you know, Matt's been known to do. I've been known to do some crazy things. I think it's difficult to retain the short-circuitness of this. Here we go. Are you ready for this? Uh, This is my radical fix. We'll hear it in five Uh seconds. But basically, uh, I tried to save Short Circuit 2 and save as much as I could. Wow. I said it in India. No, I'm kidding. More (laughs) more brown face. I said it in India, but I filmed it in Des Moines. Um, (laughs) Okay, well, let's find out what I did. Mexico. (laughs) <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible has thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, comedy specials, and so much more. And we're here to enhance this fantastic experience because if you head to audibletrial.com sequel, you can get yourself a month free and an audiobook on us. Today I'd like to recommend... <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done, Matthew? It's not even that funny. Okay, okay. Today I'd like to recommend, if you love reading, thank Johannes Gutenberg <laughs> by Baby Professor. What the what? hell is this? By baby Professor. <laughs> Not Professor Baby, Baby Professor. That's what it said. Um, this is a 10 minute audiobook. For God's sake, Matthew. <laughs> About, uh... Remember when I recommended like Game of Thrones a few weeks ago? Yeah. Like a 26 hour bang for your buck the hell hey, is the it's hell a is recommendation. This? You don't have to do it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a ten minute thing about how Gutenberg invented the printing press, and that's how books are. And you should be grateful. You know, learn your history. Not that Gutenberg. No, that's the other Gutenberg, the good Gutenberg. So get on down to audibletrial.com/sequel for a month free and an audiobook on us. Audible, it's alive. I am fascinated by the Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. So, Jack, what, what, you, I believe you're the master of the, of the digits today. Indeed. It's interesting. Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I have to think, but I can't imagine. Well, 
I'll give you some time to think, Matthew. I'll come to you, Timothy Matum. Hello. What do you think the critic score from the Tomatometer for the first 1986 oh. short circuit? Good I'll give Christ. you a little clue. 38 reviews from the critic. Wow, not a lot. There you go. Holy shit. Um, I think even then, people would have been pretty harsh on this. I can imagine Siskel and Ebert just giving this a real drubbing. I believe I have an excerpt from Siskel later on. Classic. I actually I actually heard a, a, a funny story about Siskel and Ebert the other day. I say heard. I read it on Twitter. Um, but you read it out loud. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is that uh, they were both on a plane, but they were sitting separately. And Siskel uh, asked a uh, one of the stewardesses, she handed her a note and said, oh, can you please hand that uh, to my friend uh, Roger? Uh, and uh stewardess went over, handed it to her, and uh, he opened it up and it said, uh, um, would love to uh, give you a guided tour of the cockpit, Captain Smith or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's That's quite brilliant. And so Roger Ebert got up, went up, headed over towards the cockpit to be like, "Oh, the captain's asked me to come. Hasn't fucking t- asked Siskel to come up, has he?" Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, gets close to it, and all the uh, air stewards start freaking out and going, "You can't go in there. That's the cockpit." <laughs> Good lord, that is quite brilliant. Yeah, I love that. All of that to say, uh. <laughs> Forty-two percent. <laughs> Forty-two for Tim's vote for the first one. Okay, Matthew. Any I'm thoughts? gonna say the wizardry of the puppetry is mm. going to have fooled them. <laughs> Bamboozled by this technical marvel. How is this possible? Wizards. Uh, but it's still shit. So sixty. On the nose. 60, bang on. Okay, okay. No. Oh. Oh. 59. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> Let's as, not be too crazy. As if Going to bamboozle me. As if that's... How oh, dare Because <laughs> Tim's not 1% above or below you, so changing that doesn't it's matter. It's a very good point. Very good point. But you have closed the gap between the... Whatever. Yeah. Uh, on to the second one. 13 reviews, Ooh. even fewer than the first Fucking movie. hell. As we know from 1988, any ideas? There's only a certain amount of percentages it can actually be. Yeah. <laughs> Tim. Yeah. Bear in mind, this is 100% divided by 13, I guess. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do the do math. Like a, yeah. Yeah. Anything on the one on the end or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to try and do the maths on that. I'm just going to say 20%. I'm going to say oh. 30. Ooh, 20 and 30. Wow. I, I bet from the... my drop to 59, it's like, uh, yeah, it's more of the same shit. Yeah, I bet these audience scores are going to be embarrassing. Oh, I don't want to even fucking think about it. Would you have a little guess on the old audience scores, boys? Might as well, might as well. While we're here, I haven't got a third um, Dark Horse pick for you. I didn't do Chappy, Chappy or something <laughs> like that, yeah. Uh, instead, I went and got the Ebert and Siskel reviews. No, so. good, it's fine. That's the kind of thing I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have rotten tomatoes. So. We, get, we can have a draw if we need to be. Yeah. Um, audience, I'm going to say both are 70%. <laughs> probably. Probably like 70 and 63 or something. Hold on. 70% for both for Matthew. And 70 and 63. 60. 
for those for those hardcore Gutenberg fans. Yeah. <laughs> the... You mean Steve Gutenberg? Yeah. <laughs> Steve Gutenberg's accounts. You mean the stone cutters? <laughs> we made Steve Gutenberg, Gutenberg a star, star we do. I know all the Simpsons songs, everybody. All the fucking people that could have sung about. Yep. We do have a winner. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, before I even get to Ebert and Siskel. Siskel and Ebert. Good lord. I may have some opinion. Okay, good. The first one, as I said, 38 reviews. 61%. Holy shit. You actually were 1% off, Matthew. Oh. But you dropped down one. I did. <laughs> I did. So you went the wrong direction. And the second movie. Mm-hmm. 38%. Oh, wow. You were closer both times, Matt, and you both undershot yeah. both movies. Fuck mm. these movies. Okay. But then also, very, very, very low data input numbers. Yes, yes. exactly, yeah. yeah. Double digits for both review numbers. Yeah. So, and yeah. even then... One review has met. a massive influence. Interestingly, you have overshot the audience scores. Oh. For both films, both of you have. <laughs> Only oh. 67 on the audience score for the first one. Okay. And 54 for the second wait, one. Wait, wait, wait. wait. So the audience and the critics were kind of aligned on the first film? Yes, within 6% of each other. 61 Jesus, and 67. I wouldn't have thought that. Isn't yeah. that weird? Well, maybe maybe we are doing this whole, like, oh, people love short circuits. Like, do they? There's and a, even those who want to There's a though, handful of people that really care. I mean, like, there's always And there's enough of us. Who have gone back and watched it and gone, oh no. <laughs> and bear in mind, IMDb people didn't review it on IMDb. I'm sorry, IMDb. They didn't review it on Rotten Tomatoes in the 80s. This is people no, going no, no, back. And, yes, yes. Yeah. Some of the reviews are of the time sure. and added through, you know, digitizing of newspapers and all that yeah, kind of yeah, shit. Yeah, 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 of course. But the audience scores are always relatively modern. I, w- I wonder if there's many retrospective reviews in the in the critic stuff of people going back. Uh, you know, there were a few, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, a lot not of people, as good as you remember. So a lot of people mm. do that around Blu-ray releases, yeah. DVD releases, yeah, all course, that kind of, of stuff happens. So there's a couple in the early 2000s for the DVD anniversaries releases. Anniversaries thing, yeah. Anniversaries and stuff like that. That happens a lot. Mm. On to our good old pals, Mr. Siskel and Mr. Ebert. Um, yes? Where shall I start? Alphabetically. Uh, well, I've got a quick little... Uh, Quick little excerpt here from Short Circuit Number One mm-hmm. by Mr. Roger Ebert. How many stars out of four? Don't get me started. From zero to four, because that's the Roger Ebert scale for some stupid fucking. A lot reason. of people have adopted it now. I hate it. I, I can see his logic. Nope. There's no middle. Be good or bad. I'm like, yes, but that's not how things work. The numbers are arbitrary. You have the same scale whether yeah. it's zero. Your your zero is everybody else's one. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. It's arbitrary. Yeah, just means two is the middle. Correct. Mm. What do you think Mr. Ebert scored it in 1986? This is once again one of those contemporary reviews. One thumb down. <laughs> that's not how that works. That's how he did it. He would do. That's why they're four. There's well, two thumbs up, one thumbs up, one thumb down, two thumbs down. That's why his whole thing is four. Fair enough. It's bullshit. It's terrible. <laughs> but that is so basically. Could you give me a score a out two four, out of four? Please. Okay, two out of four. Tim, any ideas? Um, again, not for points. I'm going to say he gave it three stars. One and a half out of four. He is not a fan. If he's doing halves, oh my God. (laughs) That's what he said. It's thumbs. And I was like, it was always thumbs. One and a half. So he's done done this. 
<laughs> you can't see listeners, but I'm doing a very funny. Well, it was, it was thumbs when they did like, when they had like a TV show and stuff. Didn't yeah, it? maybe when he's actually writing a review. Yeah, start. Who that's who? Fuck. Fucking fuck off. <laughs> he's dead now. Credit should be given where it's due. The robot was designed by two guys named Sid Mead and Eric Allard. Just just describing them as two blokes. Yep. Just a bunch of lads. They did not it in like, their garage over a like, weekend. Not like really influential, important product designers or anything like that. They've I created mean, that, a milestone yeah. in its own way, following E.T., C-3PO, and R2-D2. This artificial creature, weird way of putting it, Roger, has a mind and personality of its own, and it's very likable little mechanical being that is a lot better in the movie that it's in. Too bad that robots, unlike humans, cannot be discovered in one movie and go on to star in another. I'd like to see number five in a film more suitable to its talents. I mean, like Short Circuit 2? <laughs> <laughs> yes. How much... Uh, what score do you think they gave Short Circuit 2? One thumb down. Exactly the same as they gave Short Circuit 1. I think they gave it a little higher at 2 out of 4. Okay. Two thumbs up. What the absolute fuck? <laughs> so hang on. Two thumbs up, meaning a four out of four. I don't know. If it's two thumbs up, it's four out of four. Well, then yes. Fucking hell. They love Sis- racism. Siskel <laughs> and Ebert disliked the first film, and get, but gave Short Circuit 2 two thumbs up. Ebert describes it as, uh, will probably seem better the younger you are, but it's pleasant and entertaining overall. The first one, however, is too cute for its own good. Siskel called it better than the original, but the dialogue... Oh, and the dialogue made him laugh out loud and argued that the movie works overall because he felt bad when the robot was being attacked. The emotional connection to is the this character like a is important. five-year-old's book report? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> right? That's what I thought. They're like, I felt sad. Good movie. What? You, you're professional critics, you fucking... In- Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know they're legends of the industry and all that shit, but like... Doesn't mean they're good. Good Lord. Good Lord, Siskel and Ebert. Rest in peace. <laughs> Two thumbs up because I gave a shit about the sad little robot. <laughs> I didn't want to see him be Wally like seven like thumbs up then because yeah. that's the saddest, most amazing little robot in the world. I don't think he lived that long. Wally's like 2008. Was he mm, alive? Yeah, he's then? dead by then. But yeah. either way, we'll never know because no one's going to Google it. Yep. Ebert was alive in 2013. That's when he passed. Away, okay, so okay, fair play, fair play. He might have seen Wally. He may indeed. Said no short circuit. No short, he's no, no short. Johnny Five. And then see the robot getting beaten up uh, by yeah, well Dominican gang. So Matt, now you've got to. He gave Wally three and a half stars. There it is. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, yes, I've got to fix this. You're right, Tim. Yeah. Does does are you are you more trepidatious now? You know that you're dealing with Siskel and Ebert's favorite film of all time. <laughs> No, I'm going to boldly do what I do uh, quite frequently. I'm just going to wreck shop. It's going to do whatever the fuck I want. You will, you will know from the tone that I've written this, <laughs> I was in a mood. <laughs> it will be very apparent very quickly. You, um, you will know me by the trail of my dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you will know my name is Matt. By the mech suit I put in it. Oh, that's another thing. I'm, I'm going to give an absolute spoiler here. In a film that could have had a mech suit, didn't put one in Oh, here. my God. Oh, my God. You may say, why not, Matt? And I'd say, I was in a mood. <laughs> it uh, doesn't deserve one. Absolutely does not deserve a mech suit, no. 
because wheelie boy. Okay, so... Who, who, um, who would you be putting in the mech suit? Steve Gutenberg? Steve Gutenberg doesn't deserve a mech suit. Absolutely not. Ali Sheedy might deserve a mech suit, but this version of Ali Sheedy, no, no mech suit for you. Johnny Five in a mech suit? That's weird. Um, Short Circuit 2, The Next Evolution. Oh, Ooh. 1988. AKA Treason's Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> Short Circuit 2, The New Batch. <laughs> yes. At the Harbor. 1988, keeping that year. Makes that might sense. be problematic because, like, oh, Gutenberg's got a film on, and I think Ali Sheedy was doing some TV stuff. But I'll pay them enough that they'll come back. Okay, so they're coming back. Yes. We'll get to that in a second. Director, Nick Castle. Oh, the last Starfighter guy. Thing. That's all. I don't know anything else he's done, I don't think. <laughs> he did The Boy Who Could Fly, Tap, and Dennis the Menace, the 90s version. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. But, but he's an appropriate yeah. fit for this. Yeah. Yeah. I yes. think he'll... The last Starfighter vibes. Can... Absolutely, yeah. 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 Returning cast, Tim Blaney voicing Johnny Five, or number five. I've called him Johnny Five. He's Johnny Five at this by point. He's the become, by the end of the first film. Yeah. 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 Uh, Ali Sheedy's returning as Stephanie Speck. Okay. Steve Gutenberg's back, baby. The Goots. As Newton Crosby. You may Crosby, say, why is he back? Is. And the answer is, fuck it. Yeah. No, <laughs> one, no one would have cared. Um, new cast playing the role of Mr. McBride. Paul Gleason. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For those who know, there's a bit of a reunion because he's in Trading Places, he's in The Breakfast Club, and he's in Die Hard. Yeah. Uh, and he plays, obviously, the principal in, in uh, or the teacher specifically, in, in, in The Breakfast Club. So it's like, oh, yeah, no, him and Sheedy, yeah. great, yeah. He's best with a bull, get the horns. That's exactly it. He's got that overbearing personality and presence, and he's very 80s in that, that, in that standing. Also, same year, he's in, in Die Hard. The role of Julia Stedman is going to be Mia Sara. Uh, who will people know from Legend and most famously Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And former sequelizers episode. Fucking time. Time cop. Yeah. (laughs) Read between the lines, guys. That's what this this is. That's what my pitch is. Johnny (laughs) Five? Can you tie it into my time traveling mad bullshit Time Cop 2 Dragon Ball Z reference? Feasibly. And then Johnny Five is just in there. Feasibly, actually. Uh, No. And finally, Brick Johnson. <laughs> Got the 80s names here. Uh, played by Robert Picardo. Ooh, nice. Uh, who's also in Legend with Julius Stedman. Yeah. Uh, and he's in Inner Space as a cowboy. It's a weird thing. And he's in Gremlins 2 and Star Trek First Contact as the uh, holographic doctor in Voyager. Mm. And Small Soldiers. So Paul Gleason, Miyazara, and Robert Picardo. Mm. They're the additions to this cast. Nice. For, for reference, you are pulling Steve Gutenberg away from... Cocoon, The Return. Oh, no. <laughs> and High Spirits. We're oh, gonna put my your PSP, favorites. A film about a ghost or something. That's my Cocoon, Cocoon sequel. is on the list. Fucking <laughs> hell. Uh, this you... is just also a year after Three Men and a Baby. Christ. Yes. We're, we're really in the height of... Uh, Pop- no, like the hill of his career. Yes. Yep. Um, the high heights of 15 feet off the ground. <laughs> we, we have a moment of like, oh, is this going to be difficult for us to... Um, to, to get Gutenberg back. I said, like, no, just chuck a bit more money in his face. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Just add like $5. <laughs> we, we've shit on Gutenberg a lot. Yes. He is good in the second season of Veronica Mars. Okay. I don't really give a shit about Veronica Mars, so I'm just going to take your word for it. Same. I assume it's all right. So yeah, I, I trust Tim's judgment. Fair. Um, although you are defending Gutenberg, so maybe I'm <laughs> trusting it less. <laughs> um, we should also point out, though, but people thinking, oh, 
Nick Castle, Last Starfire. Yeah, he's also very famously Michael Myers. Yes, he he is the guy who plays Michael oh, Myers. Oh wow, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, Nick Castle is 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 the guy playing Michael in, in multiple iterations of Halloween. Wow, um, including the most recent Halloween Kills and stuff. And he actually has fascinating. Been, oh, did he come back for them? He, I believe he is like in the actual like when it's. I, I don't think I don't think he's always him in terms of like when he's in the mask. Mm. But there's definitely when he's unmasked. Pres- him. One one presumes for stunt stuff less so yes. nowadays. Yeah, exactly. He's probably in his. Yeah, sixties. No, entirely. He played the shape in the original uh, Halloween, and again, it's the whole like the the nicest guy in the world apparently playing one of the most fucked mm. up evil. Uh, but yes, that's what I'm getting to direct this movie. Okay, uh, that will bear, have no relevance on the tone of this film, but mm. were a little bit of a tidbit. Mm. Um, I'm just gonna go straight into the pitch. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you guys. I, I, do you have any questions at this point? It's all quite. I'm just gonna say I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the name Brick Johnson. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Um, that's both Ryan Johnson references, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> I was going to call him uh, Brothers Jedi, but I thought it yeah. <laughs> too weird. Okay, here we go. We open with Johnny being interviewed by Joan London on Good Morning America. So, so far, it's not the same as yeah. him on the run. I've taken a very strong... I've picked a tone, I've picked a lane, and the lane I've picked is... Dark, gritty. Yes. Time Cop 2. Little baby Zack Snyder's in the background. <laughs> no, it's... it's uh, it, Slow-mo I... shots of Johnny Five getting kicked into a hole. <laughs> uh, I won't spoil it. Um, no, so the... the uh, Joan London, for those who don't know, was a very big um, mm. talk show presence yeah. again, on There's Good Morning America. Big cameo in the 80s kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. After the events of the first film, the story... Oh, sorry, his story spread nationwide, and now he's won the heart of America... And he's set to become a US citizen. It's short circuit too, everybody. There we go. <laughs> I've got to the end of the film already. Yeah. Now, and you know, John Scarrett's going, is he gold yet? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, after the show, Stephanie and Newton congratulate Johnny on the good job when they're approached by Mr. McBride. He explains he wants to represent Johnny with a line of merchandise. The group are ushered away by the TV crew, but McBride gives them his card. So it's against that cap- so far, 80s capitalism. Very 80s. While Johnny meets and greets, Stephanie and Newton discuss the costs to run their rural workshop and how funding from merchandise could be helpful. Stephanie says she'll only agree if Johnny wants to do it. Johnny says it's a great idea, and they all meet with McBride to sign a contract. From here, we see Johnny undergoing tests and amazing the scientists and engineers with his high-tech specifications and abilities, like motion, calculations, and speech. Because the 80s were primitive, and that shit was impressive at the time. (laughs) I was in a mood. (laughs) Johnny befriends a scientist named Julia Stedman, but before she can speak openly with the robot, Mr. McBride arrives and she bottles up. Meanwhile, Johnny tours around the various sites of New York, and we are treated to a big music montage. I am establishing this is New York. (laughs) Definitively. Yes. It's a a New York sequel. Oh, hello. Nice. What's the music? Debage. Bam, bam, bananan. That's, I mean, that Mr. is very... Mr. Brightside. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can imagine fucking Johnny Five singing. Yeah. New... That's it, yeah. He's going to do like a little bit of a like, yeah. hat with the trash yeah. can yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. 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 And I'm just going to go, ho, 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 who's this guy? Oh, because yeah. he can dance in the first one. We know that, right? So he can do his little... Sure. Yeah. Back at the lab, it's revealed that Mr. McBride is actually... Manning Braid of Braid Enterprises. Oh my god. 
a robotics company attempting to make a replica of Johnny. Surely not. Mm. An evil Johnny, you might say. <laughs> An evil Johnny has a hole in it. It's a condom joke. I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> the scientists and engineers have been working to duplicate Johnny since his existence became public knowledge, but they've been struggling to capture his quote-unquote soul. But he can't dance, can't sing, can't do karaoke. <laughs> Can't jump. Oh no, he's not a white man. <laughs> I mean, his his jokes say that he is. Yeah. <laughs> when he when he tries to go through automatic doors, they don't open up for him. <laughs> his breath doesn't frost up on uh, freezer cabinets. That kind of thing. Yes, <laughs> pretty much. Apparently, Julia had mentioned that the miniature versions, which were around two feet tall, felt like innocent toys, which gave Braid the idea to pose as a toy company to get a look under Johnny's hood. It's sexy. Well, you know, everyone wants to fuck this robot. It's right. Horny 80s, isn't it? Horny, want to fuck a robot. Julia is extremely conflicted about this, even more so after meeting Johnny. Frustratingly, despite the various tests, the employees are only a little closer to cracking the secret to Johnny's sentience. Braid says they have until the end of the week, or they're all fired. Fucking crunch culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey. Johnny talks with Stephanie and Newton about how he feels alone. They have each other, but he has no one. They couple... No, they don't couple up in front of him. <laughs> oh, oh. They get to fucking. Wow. Too bad, Johnny. Oh, Christ. Here's some input for you. <laughs> input. Software. <laughs> input. Hardware goes in software. Okay. We're tired, folks. Oh, we really are. Okay. okay. The couple tell Johnny they'll always have each other and everyone loves him. So far, this is considered accurate. In that moment, a group of surly toughs jeer at Johnny and throw an empty can at him. Johnny cowers, but the ruffians are chased off by a bunch of New Yorkers. You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us, etc. <laughs> That's the thing. They're saying Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I know, Jack, I know. Um... Johnny thanks them and a builder with a thick accent. Hey! <laughs> hey, this is New York. <laughs> yeah, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Yes. Before it could be said in Spider-Man. <laughs> I swear to God, I didn't read ahead I in the pitch. I, I looked ahead at Tim who had and he was yeah. like, oh. <laughs> oh, love that shit. Love it. Anyway, Stephanie pats Johnny and says, see, you're a fully fledged New Yorker now. And every New Yorker watching this film cringes a little bit. Because it's like, oh, God. Julia feels she is close to an answer that actively hides her findings from her superiors. Unfortunately, Brick Johnson, a smarmy co-worker, reads her notes and takes them to Braid, both to save his job and to claim the glory. The hypothesis states that the device Julia has constructed could essentially duplicate and harness a living personality. Braid cackles and immediately hooks himself in Brick is unable to work the machine properly and guesses his way through. The factory floor lights up with an army of little robots who all turn and announce with one voice, We are alive! That was fucking creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be creepy. Right, Matt? Yeah, I know, but... Ugh. It was a wholesome family moment that I made terrifying. <laughs> well, that was kind of the, the threatening intention, yeah. <laughs> Johnny has befriended many people in New York and is drawing a crowd. He dances and sings, of course he does, and juggles... <laughs> Juggles? Yep. Why not? For their amusement. The crowd explain he should live in New York, and he says he will. <laughs> okay? 
<laughs> he feels like they've welcomed him as family, even though he's different. He wants to know what he should see next, and after a bunch of suggestions, he likes the sound of Central Park, a place he may be able to get up to high speeds. The crowd of simpletons cheer. <laughs> <laughs> you were in a mood for this one. This is a very, this is a very like. I feel like it's often <laughs> me and sometimes you, Tim. We do our little meta commentaries of like. And that happens in this film because, of course, it does. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Mm. I feel like you've never been this meta and on the nose of like. Probably haven't. No. People will cringe about this in fifteen years' time and yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Well, I've leaned very... into a lot with this one. Yeah, I feel. I feel like you've done it once or twice in the past. Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, never to this extent. Back at Braid Enterprises, Brick has tried to get through to the robots, but they have collectively turned on him. <laughs> Was quick. Yeah. Well, they're. they're... Oh, hang on. Well, to explain. It would seem they have inherited Braid's worst traits and are intent on taking over the building and then all of New York City because <laughs> he's a hungry, power-hungry yep. brick. Before they can do this, Brick is able to initiate a protocol which locks down the building. Uh, the robots now call themselves ARCs, Autonomous Robotic Creation. Oh, we did mention Johnny's thing is a saint. Saint. Like, yeah, yes, saint. I did, saint I did, number yeah, five. I did mention it in the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. stupid. Yeah. Anyway, they take Brick hostage and look for a way to escape. Braid tries to escape via helicopter on the roof. One of the ARC units follows before a hatch seals behind it. Braid and the robot sort of fight before the CEO gets into a helicopter. The ARC hangs onto the helicopter and clambers in before trying to take over. The pilot fights back before the chopper is eventually put down in Central Park. Coincidentally, Johnny, Stephanie and Newton witness the event. Johnny tries to communicate with the ARC before the police shoot it. This triggers a discussion about whether the robot was a threat or not, wow. and the passing New Yorkers scold the cop. Fucking hell. Some social commentary from Short Circuit 2. <laughs> yes, this is the next evolution <laughs> of police defunding. Jesus <laughs> Christ. No, it's, it's, it's more just the idea of like, hey, don't shoot him. He's a good guy. It's the, it's ending the first yeah. one. Short Circuit 2, ACAB. <laughs> ARC. ARCAB. Autonomous robot cops are bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. Braid confesses what he's done and apologizes. He says he'll give them any resources they need to stop the ARC units. Johnny realizes Julia is in danger and with the help of the police is brought to Braid Enterprises headquarters. The cops were initially keen to take out the robots. Surely not. Trigger happy cops in New York in the 80s, Matthew. But thanks to the public reaction in Central Park, and the presence of hostages, they're convinced that Johnny can end the siege amicably. Johnny, with the help of a SWAT team, is able to blowtorch his way in, <laughs> which is then welded shut behind him. Jesus. Yeah, he's Suicide like, mission. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, shh, you're in. Shh, he ain't coming out. Um, he sneaks around, as much as the design allows him to, <laughs> and is able to fool one of the arcs into letting him take the hostages downstairs. With Johnny being so much taller than the arc, it thinks he must be in charge. <laughs> One of the scientists thanks Johnny and says their creation should be destroyed. But Johnny believes they are all sentient and deserve to live. They just need tutelage. Input. Johnny, noticing Julia is not with the group, learns that she has been taken to the factory floor to increase production of the ARC units. Johnny heads there and sees Julia being bullied by the smaller robots. There's a fairly consequence-free fight. <laughs> Nothing is killed or destroyed. Everything is batted away fairly safely. Jesus. Even th though the arcs are trying to thwart Johnny's attempts to save Julia. This is just lasers bouncing off stuff harmlessly. I I've pitched at a very young audience. Here. Yeah. We can tell. And also commentary 
on police brutality in the eighties. <laughs> it's gotta go. Gotta gotta know young. It's gotta learn sometime. It was either that or remake bright. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> robot lives don't matter today. Fuck yeah. That's what Johnny says as he yeah. fucking executes one of them. Pretty much. Eventually, Johnny is able to hook himself into Julia's machine and reprogram the units with his own personality. This doesn't completely wipe their consciousness, but it certainly reforms them. And all the smaller ARC units meekly apologise to Johnny and Julia. Outside, the defence systems are deactivated and the hostages are let out. Johnny comes with his quote-unquote children, as Matthew has written it in the script. <laughs> I have. Gross. These are my children. Oh. I have named and they them all, all. They basically do the claw thing. I'm like, no. <laughs> kind of. Like, Ugh. Johnny comes out with his children in tow and explains they're no longer a threat. The police shoot them dead anyway. <laughs> <laughs> because welcome to New York, bitch. It's the 80s. <laughs> I added that bit. He did, but it was very funny. <laughs> they echo their earlier apology to everyone as Johnny exasperatedly asks, if he can get back to his sightseeing. We close on a six-month time skip. Johnny has been made a full citizen. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. And for safety and development, has been awarded an entire island by Braid Enterprises. And (laughs) gold-plated to keep John Scarrett happy. All right, we all love John, all right? Some things have to be said. (laughs) No. (laughs) The CEO has also had a change of heart and sees that they can all achieve more by working together. Uh, but not with the cops. No. In order to do this, they spray paint him gold. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the film ends with Stephanie and Newton paying Johnny, Julia, and all the arcs a visit as they are set to unveil their newest design. It's a dog. It's, it's a hideous monstrosity, <laughs> but it's, it's the 80s. So the characters think it's neat and endearing. The dog is one of the next many next sort of evolutions reference of a title. It's also called Sam. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> Do we get a gender reveal of Sam in the fucking third it's one? It's a female robot dog called <laughs> Sam. That coming, you fuck. You preempting the greatest twist in cinema history. <laughs> Look, I'm taking lines yourself. from Spider Man, taking twists from fucking Iron Man. You really Legend. have taking everything. You've taken you've taken a big chunk of. Uh, Gremlins 2. Yes. Joked about the new batch being the subtitle. Yeah. And Bright. Yeah. Yeah. I, I basically... And Bright. He's <laughs> <laughs> gone didn't react to that. Like, I didn't know. I was like, yeah. what? Uh, no, I basically just made an amalgam film um, that's like, well, let's just do a really straightforward, simple adventure that feels 80s and feels like it's really low stakes. Gutenberg and um, uh, Sheedy won't really be involved because nobody gives a fuck. We just want to see Johnny 5 do Johnny 5 stuff. And the idea of the little toys, I'm like, this is the good idea. This is, and I'm like, this is Gremlins 2. It's like, well, just do Gremlins 2 then. Mm. Before, or around the same as Gremlins do you, 2. Do you picture the arcs looking like little Johnny Fives? Or Absolutely. do they have a distinct design? Slightly, slightly distinct. But there's still enemy merchandise of him. So mm. it's just smaller versions. I've got two words, possibly one hyphenated word oh, for you. Oh, shit. Gold plate. <laughs> um, They're golden. I will allow. little golden Johnnies. A... A, a, if you will, an arm with a tinge, perhaps. I think, what? I think Sam should be gold. I'm gold, okay with, gold I'm okay with that. robot dog. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Sign me up. Yeah, that's the twist. <laughs> this is along. my dog, Sam. Barf, barf. <laughs> I am a girl. <laughs> golden girl. <laughs> oh, it's a golden girl's joke. It's voiced by Pia. <laughs> 
Genuinely, I'm sold. That's fucking genius. That's canon now. That's canon. Yeah, so I, I did literally go for, again, my own very, very selfish view of like, it's a very young pitched film. The thing that you should be. make a mistake like, is it's, yeah. You're not the, being mental and like, No, no, yeah. no. It's like, I, was like, I don't want to see him getting beaten up and turned into a fucking thing. I think, I'm going to stab you, die. Yeah. It's like, oh, Jesus. Um, it's like, we're going to be edgy and cool. It's like, no, you're not. And I was like, I had to immediately just not talk about Ben. Just get rid of Ben as fast yeah, and as quiet as good, possible. Good. Very, very wise. Yeah. Very so that's my short circuit too. It's a weird combination of mm-hmm. like very true to the series. Like you said, it's aiming at a particularly younger audience, which makes total sense mm. compared to the weird fucking tone of the actual second sequel we got. And also like batshit mad stuff. <laughs> and somehow you've kind of got them like together in the same movie and it works. 80s. To be fair, a lot of the batshitness comes from the fact that you're writing this in 2022 and it's a Spider-Man reference that is 14 <laughs> years before Spider-Man happens. Yeah, and, yeah, but for us, fun, it's 20 yeah. years after Spider-Man has happened. Admittedly, the idea of the, the bunch of New Yorkers just saying, eh, no, leave them alone. That's all we're really getting at. I'm just putting that line to be a little See, bit of I, I weirdly think that was one of the bits that stuck out to me and I was like, that wouldn't be made in the 80s because in the 80s, the city was something to fear and it was full of danger. The fucking warriors. Uh, and the, gangs the idea the of having like a, a, a positive, like, mm-hmm. here's New York. Isn't it a wonderful place to be? Is my logic with that. Because you're absolutely right. And my logic was like, mm-hmm. you're going to die in New York. My only defiance for that. Gangs of New York, right, guys? Is, is, is uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. <laughs> no, no. Uh, is, is Ghostbusters. Fair. That's fair. Which has the exact same message of like, in this city, you th- yeah. all the hate and the slimes like, no, nah, it's a good city, man. Come on. Yeah. Basically, the whole thing is like a campaign to try and turn New York around. It's like, yeah. a, you can come back here. It's not full of drugs and death. Mm. And uh, That's Los Angeles. That's every city. Yeah. Um, but no, it's true. You're right. Absolutely. New York was a fucking monster. I mean, that's why there's the classic joke in like Home Alone 2. Mm. It's like, uh, oh, he's going to the park. It's like, sure, what's wrong with that? Mm. <laughs> it's like, it's Central Park. You're going to die, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's... And being 88, we're on the cusp of that turning around. This is yeah. basically film propaganda to we can make the city work. Oh, God, work. it's going to get fucking funding from Giuliani or it something. Is, yeah, that <laughs> yeah, kind of shit. Um, so that's where I was going to go with it. But you're yeah. right. That is not a reflection of the reality. But then, to be fair, nothing in this film is. A, a yeah. CEO saying, I've made a terrible mistake. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Fuck off. I'm really worried It's gonna. there's going to be a lot of Johnny Five flirting with Mia Sarah. There is. Yeah. <laughs> Which Why, is when you say worried, which, do you mean excited for? Uh, it's entirely appropriate and, and for this Ali film. And Sheedy rage. Uh, but I, I just feel like I'm, it would be the thing that we would re-watch now and go be like, why is this robot so horny? <laughs> you, create, you created a love triangle here. Well, she made the children. Oh. He just <laughs> fathered their personality. <laughs> Father, put, mother. Put the hardware in the software. Again, it's, it's a question of trying to... Question? It's a question of trying to make a short circuit too, basically. It's like, well, you can't abandon everything unless I, I genuinely considered at one point, can I not do a re-release 30 odd years later <laughs> in 2016, one of the greatest years of film of all time, and have it be a dark, serious movie, like a fucking, the fucking Robocop remake. I, I'm not doing that. Who, who, owned, who made it? Who owns it? It's tri, it was TriStar. 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 Yeah. Tristar. Yeah. Sony. Sony. Sony now. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, I, I was very much of the mindset do I do this in the 90s? And it's like, 
Nah, that robot looks shit in the 90s. Yeah, by the, <laughs> by the 90s, it was already out of date. Yeah, 2010s. Um, like, again, the nostalgia isn't there for it. Yeah. I think if you released it now, you'd really struggle to get an audience for yeah. it. Maybe like a, a straight to Netflix, you kind of like, if, oh God, that thing's back. If you were going to make it in 2016, Sony would be trying to make Johnny Five a member of the Sinister Six. <laughs> um, That's very true. No, I, th- I think you've done, you've excised a lot of the terribleness. <laughs> Of Short Circuit Two, the demons, if you will. Uh, it feels it feels a lot more focused than Short Circuit Two, which is all over the place and just. I mean, they're both kind of just excuses to have Johnny Five do stuff, but your your film feels a lot more focused in that. Yeah, and there's not all these weird arbitrary stuff of fucking Fisher Stevens in brown face trying to woo a woman with. Johnny Five being his Cyrano de Bergerac, and then a cat comes along or something. I can't. Yep. I watched it yesterday, yes, and I can't remember. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Um, hell. There's so much shite and filler. Yeah. That doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's not funny to kids. No. It's really unengaging and run and it's tedious. Yeah. Um. And that's whereas, what, whereas I can see around. them essentially do. You essentially doing a Die Hard with with uh, Johnny yeah. Five. A same year. I've got fucking yeah. Gleason in there. So yeah. it's it. Uh, this is the point. I'm I'm trying to draw on a feeling mm. of an era of filmmaking. I'm not trying to make a very distinct and this is gonna make me sound like a, a bad thing to do here. It's like, well making like, you know, let's improve these sequels. I'm like, mm. yeah, I am. But at the same time, I'm not trying to make a fucking Oscar winning movie. <laughs> I'm trying to do a, a half decent short you're tra- circuit. You're trying to do a better sequel to short circuit. Absolutely. Yeah. Something that's gonna be affordable. Uh he doesn't fly. Um <laughs> But he was built to fly, man. <laughs> Get in the fucking bin. Um, but yeah, something that will be engaging to kids. Yeah. They'll come away from it. And, and most importantly, probably will say, actually, you know what? This did well. Maybe we should produce that merchandise. Mm. Um, I can see them... Small soldiers here. Yeah. Stuff. If you have the arcs be slightly simplified, mm-hmm. like maybe get rid of the tracks and turn them into wheels or something, mm-hmm. you could very easily do like a little remote control toy version of one of them or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. or uh, you know, actually do some merchandise like we said they didn't in real life. Yeah. Well, I purposely made these ones quite tall, <laughs> in that they are like two foot tall, which mm. is much taller than the other robot things. Um, yeah, the ones are like on your desk size, aren't they? Yes, yeah, very much so. They're like a twelve inch kind of figure sort of thing. Mm. Um, and that's what the toy would be. The toy would be still be smaller, still be stripped down, probably the robot sort of size. Like, mm. You know, it'd be a little tiny thing. Um. You get like a remote control one and it'd be on a wire and you're like, oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. Because that's how the 80s was actually like. Um, you get remote control stuff, but most of it's crap. Or a, or a fucking Johnny Five money bank or alarm clock mm. kind of thing, you know? Um, so it'd be simple shit. But again, just much more knowing your audience and, and the demographic you're actually talking to. Yeah. And just sidelining Gutenberg as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Entirely fair. Well, folks, let us know what you thought of Matt's Short Circuit 2. You can contact us on all the social media places. We are Sequelizers. Links for it are in the show notes. As always, you can go to Sequelizers.com. Links for that in the show notes also. And you're there. You will find all of our live streams that we've done. We've completed our arc of tournaments of directors and all that kind of stuff. Had some fantastic guests on there. We're working on our next live streams as well. More guests, more interesting stuff very different format some familiar faces perhaps from previous live streams and previous episodes stay tuned 
also get the Discord there on the website as well. You click the Discord button, you just invite it in. There's about 200 of us now in the Discord, and it's a fantastic group of folks talking about basically anything at this point. <laughs> There's Very a channel so. for most things, and yeah. if, you, if there isn't one, just ask and I'll make you one. That's uh, it, as you walk in, they all scream in one voice, we are alive. Yeah, you do get a... The welcoming committee is a thing. can be quite intimidating. I've literally seen listeners go into the Discord and be like, wow, that was a full-on thing. They mentioned it on the show, but that is really full-on. <laughs> That's a lot of GIFs. Yeah. You get, <laughs> everybody has a signature GIF. Well, I say everybody. The most active users on the Discord <laughs> have signature GIFs that will welcome you to the Discord. It's, it's a whole thing, including a diehard one. I won't spoil who uses Welcome to the Party Pal, mm-hmm. but I was going to use that one and I'm very annoyed. or i was like oh i'll just go to welcome to the world of tomorrow somebody does that one as well it's true our discord people have good taste it turns out Mm -hmm. but yes all of that stuff probably easiest way to get in touch with us pretty much we have a basically post-show chat and discussion after every episode i'm gonna get ribbed to shit yeah you are um whether that's on the discord after the Patreon release comes out. There's a chat there. It's all spoiler tagged and stuff like that. We do have a pretty strict spoiler chat rule on the Discord. So we do. If we're talking about the latest TV shows, latest movies, video games, comics, whatever it is, you won't get spoiled on there. And we are pretty, pretty strict with that kind of stuff. It's in the rules you will have to read before you join the Discord. So everybody knows the rules there. And then, of course, it kind of opens up the big wider discussion when the episode comes out on Tuesday as well. So I highly recommend. If you do want other like-minded people to chat about the show or basically anything else, like I said, recommend other podcasts, promote your own stuff, talk about music, talk about video games, talk about parenting, history, recommend YouTube channels. There's all kinds of stuff on there. It's very, very cool. And a lovely group of folks there, if we do say so ourselves. And of course, three of us are there as well to answer questions and take the piss out of you when it's necessary. If you'd like to hit me up on any of the social media stuff, I am JLW Chambers on basically everything. I also host an SEO podcast called Search with Candor, where I talk about digital marketing, search engine optimization, pay-per-click advertising, all that kind of stuff, which is part of my day job. So, yeah, I interview experts from around the industry pretty much and keep up to date on all the latest news in that industry. So if you're working in that industry or would like to work in that industry, come and tune into that show as well. Matt, how about you? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, on all the various social media channels. You can go to the red right hand at code.uk and read my reviews. You can go to cheesemint.com and see the things that I make. You can also search out sumo drop pod, uh, as in at sumo drop pod on Twitter, to find the sumo wrestling podcast to do sumo drop. Uh, Tim, if you were alive uh, and sentient, where would we have your thoughts uh, banked and stored? Tim made armies on Twitter. (laughs) Trivia underscore lad for your input. Look, give me a fucking he's, rock. He's, he's doing the arms. Folks. <laughs> shoot it with the laser. Oh, no, wait. Throw rocks at Yeah, rocks. <laughs> Disassemble that fuck. I will shoot your trousers off. Oh. Tim, you will see my penis. Horny Tim is back, <laughs> and Matt doesn't wear underwear. So, things got steamy in the sequelizers, ain't you? I told you, these, these fucking robot films are too horny. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where you can find me. That's all my bullshit. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Thank you, like I said, if you support us on Patreon. If you can't, please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice, whether that's Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. 
if you can help us spread the word of sequelizers and support us for free that'd be very very much appreciated if you do take the time to do that as well we'll be back next week with something completely different nope same thing same thing basically bright all over again right guys same same tone exactly the same tone yeah no it's not <laughs> definitely not it's uh maybe one of the biggest like tonal jumps we've we have this season from one episode to the next and then we do it again the following episode which is fantastic bouncing around yeah